podcast today where unfortunately we will be coming to you with a podcast but we're trying to get Dua Lipa on as our first like guest that's not a part of the group chat if Dua Lipa is listening we would love to have you on the podcast talk about football talk about life we got a lot of questions to ask you but as always we start off with our ISO segment we're gonna go around the horn here we're gonna start with Tyler in the left in my left corner at least Tyler you get 30 seconds for your ISO go ahead and your timer starts now. So the college football playoff committee screwed up big time. And we've heard it ad nauseum. But I think the most frustrating part is they essentially use different criteria to judge Texas, Alabama, and Florida State by using different pieces to just form their narrative. And I think that's the one thing that we should be most upset about. And you can argue, hey, they got the three best teams. They got the they did not get the three most deserving. But using different criteria to get all three in or out is a bunch of crap. And that's what needs to be fixed moving forward. Good job. You got it right at the deadline. AJ, you're up with your 30 second ISO. Your time is now. So the president of the MCA has come up with a new uh, radical proposal for allowing universities to create a trust fund of a minimum of $30,000 investment per athlete. Um, I doubt it will pass, but it is kind of interesting here how the NCAA is trying to tackle the new uh, NIL landscape and combat these new changes. All right, you got that in in 23 seconds. That's the leader in the clubhouse right now. Kevin, never mind. Alex, you're up. Go, go ahead. Let's go. I'm going to talk about the FCS playoff bracket because that's on brand for me. Um, it's a really good bracket that's left, man. Um, five of the 14 teams that have won FCS championship and are still at the FCS level are in the final eight, as well as three teams that have never won an FCS championship. Uh, this is the furthest that the University of Albany has ever gotten in the playoffs. They're playing Idaho this week. Neither of those teams have won a national championship. There's some really good matchups coming up this week uh, as the bracket continues. And so I'm really excited to see how it plays out. I got that in in 29 seconds, right on the dot. Karina, you are up. Your 30-second ISO begins now. So I was doing some scouting, and we'll talk a lot about players um, coming up for the awards that we're going to give out. But I was noticing how much more similar NFL offenses and college offenses are because scouting for something like the Heisman Trophy is so different from scouting from the NFL level. And I was noticing that there are so many more teams and players that you could plug from the college level to the NFL level in versus in other years. All right. You got that in in 28 seconds. Unfortunately, now we have to let Kevin go. I didn't really have a plan, but uh, then I remembered that George Allen exists. He was the coach of the Rams for two games. But what I want to talk about was he once had Richard Nixon call a play for him. It was a 14-yard loss in the NFC Championship game. Uh, and then he was also an avid consumer of ice cream and peanut butter for meals and uh, habitually drank milk. He was the weirdest, but also I think we need more coaches like him because I, I don't know. I, I like weird coaches. They're all not mentally stable. So he's just Jim Harbaugh. 
That's what I'm Yeah, pretty much. He's basically Jim Harbaugh. And I am J.P. Acosta, and my 30-second ISO is on the best coach in the state of Florida, which is Florida A&M's Willie Simmons. He went 44-13, or he's gone 44-13 as the head coach of the Rattlers, and is now finally won the SWAC. FAMU is going to the Celebration Bowl this year. I think that he is finally getting his due as the best coach in the state of Florida. I'm surprised that nobody actually brought up his name in terms of moving up to a higher level of coaching, but I just don't think he wants to because Florida A&M is a great institution. Got that in 29 seconds. But I'm going to parlay that Willie Simmons mention into our first segment, which is the College Football Awards. Of course, we all know the Heisman is going to be given out over the weekend, but nobody really cares about the Heisman. It's just a heavy trophy with some dude doing a dumb pose. Nobody really cares about that trophy. We're going to talk about our awards, the awards that really matter, the awards that are the reason why you are here today. And the first award we are going to start off with is Coach of the Year. And I'm going to start first. My Coach of the Year is Willie Simmons at Florida A&M. Finally winning the SWAC, making it to the Celebration Bowl. That team is certified good. It has always been one of the best teams in the state of Florida. But this year, having to go through as much as he did, the offense remains awesome. Willie Simmons is my Coach of the Year this year. AJ? Uh, I'm going to say my coach of the year this year is probably I've debated between a few of them, but I have to go with Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. I think that squad was surprised a lot of people. I thought he hired a really good staff. Uh, They were pretty competitive in virtually every SEC game this year. Ton of talent on both sides of the ball, and they're striking good in the portal so far. That's a good pick. I think Drinkwitz would get a lot more like notoriety a lot more mention if there weren't like just like huge like coaching turnarounds at like the smaller levels or like g5 but i think he probably had one of the most impressive coaching jobs this year at the p5 level tyler who is your coach of the year i've thought about this a lot and i want to give a shout out to my boy jed fish even though he was a coward against usc nine and three that is only teams impressive jerry kill going 10 and four with uh, New Mexico state's impressive too. As you can hear Odie whining in the background. Cause I mentioned uh, Jed fish. That was for you cats. And um, I got to go with Kalen DeBoer, what he was able to do winning 12 games, 13 games at Washington with everything going on. It just a really impressive job. And it, even though they were an underdog against Oregon, they were always the better team. And Vegas is not um, Vegas is not right there. Um, all right. We're going to mute now. So Odie stops. Odie oh, said, your pick stinks, man. He said, you need to go back to the board. He said, do not let bro cook. He said, get him off the grill. Karina, who is your coach of the year in college football this year? I'm going to go very generic, but I'm going to go with Steve Sarkeesian, but simply because he may have brought Texas back, and now I can't make those jokes anymore, so I have to give it to him. And also, strictly has nothing to do with the play calls, nothing to do with the recruits, and that has nothing to do with him making Texas even remotely tolerable. But he kneels the entire game. He, like, squats, and that man has some strong-ass knees. That's that's impressive. Like, that might be the most impressive, like, physical feat that any coach has done on the sideline this year. Staying in that squatting position, you're basically doing a wall sit for, like, the entire game, and that's painful as hell. So shout-out to Sark. And Texas for finally maybe sort of kind of being back. Kevin, who is your coach of the year? Yeah, I've sort of 
been uh, conflicted with this one because David Braun deserves a lot of recognition for what he did at Northwestern. But I want to give some credit to Mike Bloomgren at Rice because that team is six and six. That team has made a bowl game. And last year it looked like his job was on the line, right? And when we talk about winning at a university where everything feels against you, you know, you have a hand tied against your back at, at all times, like Rice is that university and he's beat Houston. He beat, you know, a lot of the bad teams in the AAC, but there is some credit to going six and six with that team and making a bowl game and doing so, you know, maybe not pretty because it hasn't certainly probably not been pretty for Rice, but you know, they're, they're six and six and they haven't been six and six in a long time. So what you're saying is Rice cooked this year. Rice definitely did cook this year, but like rice not overcooked. It's, it's not like bad rice. It's like actually good rice. It's not like super like fine dining rice, it's like that minute rice. You know, you it is. In... It is. It, it is the equivalent of like Chinese food rice. It's it's good, but like not great. You know, I don't know. I've had I've had some, rice. I've had some great Chinese rice. I've had some. I've had some great fried rice, man. At at a, well, no, but the the white rice at a takeout place. I, it's, it's pretty good, dude. Sometimes, sometimes, but there's also like the bad ones. This is like the average of those. If that makes any sense. I don't think AJ agrees with you at all. Like, <laughs> AJ was just sitting over there shaking his head. Okay, okay. This is this is like Panda Express white rice. It's good. I've had certainly had better takeout food white rice, but it's it's good. I'm, I'm just I'm just confused on how our how that segment lasted longer than any of our ISOs talking about actual <laughs> talking about rice because this is our because rice is great, man. You can have rice with anything. That's fair. you can. That is fair. You put some beans over rice, and that's a meal right there. Some black beans. It's amazing. Alex, your coach of the year. I've got no comment on Kevin's opinions about rice. <laughs> oh, no. I, I refuse to comment. No, I, I can't believe I didn't notice that. Good job, Kevin. Alex, who is your coach of the year? Um, I said it on the show a couple weeks ago. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, Jerry Kill should be coach of the year for the job he's done in New Mexico State this season. Um, it's insane that he's not a finalist for the actual coach of the year award. Uh, the, the finalists came out earlier this week, and he is not on the list. Um, New Mexico State won 10 games, man. When is the last time that New Mexico State won 10 games Also, they went, might went have, to a bowl game two seasons in a row? They might have the most like pound-for-pound pound, like best win of any team in college football this year going into Auburn and like not just getting out of there with a win, but like whooping their ass like up and down the field. Like that's a that's the most impressive yeah, win of any college football team this year. So major shout outs to Jerry Kill. Yeah, I, Go ahead. Yeah. I think he deserves a lot more credit for the job that he's done this season. Um and then of course the other guy I have to mention is uh, my guy over at Washington, Kalen DeBoer, uh hasn't lost and uh played one of the hardest schedules in the country and didn't lose. Of course, Kalen DeBoer is going to be up there. Um, I do want to go into a little bit of uh, David Braun, who, from my alma mater, my second alma mater, Northwestern, he took over that job two weeks before the season started. Like that, that's a crazy thing to think about when you think about Northwestern going seven and five and winning more games in his first year of any first year coach at Northwestern since 1902. And he he also proved that Pat Fitzgerald was a liar. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald said far too many things about Northwestern. Like you can't keep, you can't win there. Four games is a, four games maybe in a good year, maybe six if you're lucky. David Braun came in and won seven games in year one with a roster that I didn't think was going to win a game this year. So Kevin, you want to say something on Jerry Kill? 
Yeah, just real quick, like I think the most impressive thing for me is the Auburn win was incredible, but it was also the fact that it was he went into a conference championship game against a good Liberty team with a what a third string quarterback and you know had had to put a third string quarterback in there and almost won. Like they were in that game for most of it against a high powered Liberty team. Like that's incredible. Uh, he should have been on the the Eddie Robinson. I think the award is from the FWA. He should have been on there and probably been the favorite. <laughs> so our next award we're gonna go to is the Heisman Trophy. Of course, we talked so much about the Heisman Trophy, and I feel like we're gonna beat that horse to death until Saturday. There are four finalists, which are Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver from Ohio State. Jane Daniels, quarterback from LSU, Michael Penix from Alex's Washington Huskies, and Bo Nix slash Auburn Jesus uh, from University of Oregon. So I'm going to start with Kevin. Who is your Heisman this year? It's Jane Daniels. Uh, he's been, I think, the most electrifying player at times in college football. And he's probably the only reason why that LSU team has like even been in some games because that defense is awful. And, you know, when you compare him to uh, Washington and, uh, you know, Oregon with Karina's favorite, Bo Nix, like, it is probably Jaden Daniels. Tyler, who is your vote for Heisman go to? Well, I can tell you who it's not going to. It's it's not going to Bo Nix. Um, I've debated long and hard about it being either Jaden Daniels, who I think has the better stats, but I'm going to give it to Michael Penix Jr. for the fact that, what he was able to do in some of those games and be able to help pull out uh, all those close wins against a really, really difficult schedule. And when we talked about uh, Washington being better than Oregon or it, uh, specifically being a nine and a half point underdog going to that Pac-12 title game, I don't think enough people looked at strength of victory. Washington played a brutal schedule and they didn't just beat some teams. They boat raced some. Like they absolutely annihilated Boise State, and I'll be a third different team. But, uh, yeah, Washington, in my opinion, they're the best team in the country. And that Michael Penix Jr., even though he struggled at times, he always came through in the end. And I think that is why I would give him the Heisman, even if Daniels has better stats. AJ, who's your Heisman pick? I kind of went back and forth for a lot of the same reasons that that Tyler and Kevin both brought up. Um, but I did go with Jane Daniels. I just, I think he, when you look at the season he has had, if LSU had a defense, we would be talking about them having the, like the greatest season, even, even on par, even in some statistical categories, better than the 2019 LSU. Uh, I just think he was so incredible. It's like, no matter when, like what was happening on the field, you knew he was going to hit a big play. You knew he was going to make something happen. And like they only lost to Ole Miss because the defense gave up 50 some odd points. And the offense was scoring regularly. Like I, I just think when you look at how dominant he was this year, just in terms of, of numbers, I think when you give it, when you boil it down to the best player in America, I think it has to be him. Karina, you are wearing the Bo Nix focused, having fun shirt. Are you going to be the lone stander on this hill of the Bo Nix Heisman campaign? It's like you don't know me at all. I hope 
Bo Nix and his seven-yard average depth of target is absolutely nowhere near that Heisman stage. That man is check down Charlie to the absolute limit that you can take that. He is basically Jimmy G, but in fun colors. And I would not vote for that man at all. I kind of agree with the Jaden Daniels sentiment that everyone else is throwing around. I mean, his numbers are on par with Joe Burrow, and it's kind of very much underneath the radar because the defense is so bad. And people are not making the connection, I don't think at all, about how good of an offense LSU actually has this year. And I did watch a lot of Penix film. I'm a huge fan of his, but this is not a pro award. If if we were doing best pro player for the next level, then it would go to him. But I think uh, Jaden Daniels is the best player in college football right now. Katzen, who is your pick for the Heisman this year? Yeah, it's tough for me. Um, Obviously, I have a little bit more emotional investment in in the outcome as a uh, University of Washington alumni and fan and everything. Um, I've gone back and forth about it a few times. And ultimately, I think, like, obviously, I've watched every Washington game this season. And thinking back on those games, I think the main thing that gives me pause about Penix winning the Heisman is that there's not, like, a defined, definite, like, moment that you can point to as like his Heisman moment even like the go-ahead touchdown Oregon like that's a play that Jalen Polk and Romo Dunze made that's not necessarily a play that Penix made if you go back and you watch that play like it's really not a good decision it's really not a good throw but his receiver makes a great play and scores that touchdown Jaden Daniels has those like Heisman moments um, for LSU because he was the only person like we've talked about dragging them to a lot of those wins that they had this season. I do think that the voting is going to be a lot closer. I know that right now Daniels is a pretty heavy favorite. I think the voting is going to be a lot closer than it um, is kind of being projected to be right now, just because Daniels is on a team that has three losses. And so a lot of like the actual voters um, are going to have some problems giving him an award uh, for like individual success on a team that isn't necessarily as successful. And so I do think it's going to be between those two, but ultimately, like, I just can't really, like, there's not really, like, a play or a game or anything like that that you can really, like, pin on Penix and say, like, this was his Heisman moment. I think that, like, we were all waiting for that, and it kind of just, like, never really came. And so uh, I'm giving it to Daniels against my better judgment. So I think the thing about Heisman moments is this year, none of the candidates really have a Heisman moment. I think the biggest case for Jaden Daniels is the crazy amount of stats he put up. But if you're looking for a Heisman moment, what was it? Running for 200 against Florida? Everybody ran for 200 yards against Florida. That's not special, you know? True, it's true. Um, I think that, like, part of the award this year is so much about consistency of playing on high level week in and week out. This is probably the year that it feels the most like an MVP award versus someone that's very flashy and sexy on the field. It's kind of like a Patrick Mahomes award where you have those moments where like, oh my God, this is the best player in football, but he does all the little things well. And I think that's something that's so underrated with Jaden Daniels. He does the little things well. So I don't think that he's going to win. This isn't my pick for Heisman, but I do think Marvin Harrison Jr.'s case is very interesting because if it was really like most valuable player to a team, 
Ohio State is nowhere close to being as good as they were this year without Marvin Harrison Jr. Because, like, he is – I don't – and I guess the thing with Marvin Harrison Jr. is he also might not win the Blitnikoff, which is going to be a very interesting thing. Like, if he doesn't win the Blitnikoff, he's very clearly not going to win the Heisman. But I'm going to go off the board for my pick here for Heisman. The Heisman, can't, the Heisman winner is Jordan Travis because apparently, like, if you just leave – if you just – Jordan Travis just doesn't play and Florida State's just out of the playoff, you know, like – Jordan Travis is apparently the most valuable player in football because without him, Florida State's left out of the playoff because they were undefeated and should have made the playoff anyway. But Jordan Travis being her is just like, yeah, nah, this team is basically Iowa. It's like, no, man, like Jordan Travis is the most valuable player. He is the Heisman candidate. But no, nah, in all seriousness, I'm going to go Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels is the Heisman this year. I think the lack of Heisman, like true Heisman moments is going to give some people pause, especially – when you look at the amount of losses that they had. But if you really look closely at those games, they only lost to Alabama because Jane Daniels got concussed. They only lost to Ole Miss because they didn't play defense. The only game where they thoroughly got smoked was Florida State in the first game of the season. So outside of that, he's got the amazing stats. He's got the numbers to back it all up. I believe he has 50 total touchdowns this year. Like that's just, that's just insane production in the SEC I feel like Jane Daniels is going to win this Heisman, but I think, like Alex said, it's going to be closer than a lot of people think. Kevin, go ahead. I think the thing about Heisman moments this year is, like, I keep going back to, I feel like the biggest Heisman moment from anyone was Jalen Milrose touchdown in the Iron Bowl against Auburn. And he's not even a finalist. And JP, I know you are very passionate about the fact that he should have been a, he should, a finalist. He should have been a high, he should I agree. Like, I think that. Like the reason he's not is because he was benched for that game against USF and it's sort of like voter fatigue in a sense of like, they're not going to vote for a dude who got benched, uh, whether it was a benching for his reason or a benching for Nick Saban wanting to prove something. But like, that's the Heisman moment is a third, a touchdown fourth and 30 or whatever to win the game in a, in a rivalry game. That's a Heisman moment. And he's not even going to New York city, which is completely shocking to me. I, I, think see, so. I don't think it's shocking at all. Um, it, it wasn't just that he got benched for the USF game. It was that he was bad the two games before that. So you're looking at a quarter of the regular season where he was bad. And it's it the next nine games were were good and improved to great. But it's a season-encompassing award. And almost every Heisman winner has one dud game. That's very but, rarely do you have 12 great games. But Milrow had arguably three bad ones to start the year. As much as uh, his finish definitely deserved a Heisman invite, I just don't think the entire body of work did. But Tyler, my problem with that is that like Marvin Harrison is there, and I think we all agree that he's probably not winning the Blitnikoff Award. It's not a guarantee that he's winning the Blitnikoff Award. Like, if you're not going to be able to win the award for the best wide receiver, why are you in New York City? Like, what have you done to deserve that? I, and he's a great player, but the Heisman Trophy is the Heisman Trophy, and he may not even win the Blitnikoff. <laughs> I think the one argument for that is it's two different voting pools. And it's, I guess in that sense, it's not like you have the AP voters who vote for the, the, both the all pro team and the MVP. It's two different pools. And is that fair? That's a whole different conversation. But if it was the same people across the board voting for both awards, I think you'd have a great argument, but with how great some of these wide receivers were in college football and the two different groups of voters, I just, I can't get there. I just so, struggled to see why he's a finalist for me because like, it's not been great. Go ahead, Karina. 
I would think that Milrow has a great case for like the Davy O'Brien award or something just because of, I understand that it's a season encompassing award, like Tyler said, but there's something to be said about a kid that could come in and fill the shoes that were left empty last year from Bryce Young and respond, get benched and respond to become the best player in college football by the conference championships. I know they don't give out award for like week seven or better, but there's something to be said about his future and Alabama's future and the job that Nick Saban has done because that's an incredible transformation in and of itself. And I think that we do need to recognize that even if there's no award for it. So I was a big advocate for Jalen Milrow getting the Heisman invite because like Kevin said, the, he has the Heisman moment this year. That throw on fourth and 31 is the best throw of the year when it comes to college football and the way in the moment that it came in, the accuracy they threw it with. And my thing about like, okay, he played poorly for the first three games. What do, what do, what do writers and voters love more than a story or something to kind of pitch? Cause you know, every time they do like, every time they give out the Heisman, Nike comes out immediately with like a little Heisman, like congratulations, like hype video. Like imagine the hype video for Jalen Milrow getting benched in the USF game and then coming back and being one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He went toe-to-toe with Jaden Daniels before Daniels got hurt. He had four rushing touchdowns in that game. Like he set, he was setting records at the University of Alabama for quarterback stats. So I think not only that, but also I thought the way he played against Georgia would also get him into the Heisman ceremony, like get him to get him an invite to New York because I mean, he played, he had one of the best like quarterback games against Georgia of any team this year. So I think Jane, I think Jalen Milrow should have gotten a Heisman invite, but I can understand like not, not inviting him because of kind of that early stretch and the Texas game. But even the Texas game, like it wasn't like, it wasn't a horrendous Texas game. There have been worse. So the next award we're going to go to is the Jordan Lynch Award, which is the group of five MVP, our favorite player, the best player from the group of five. It is an award that's not given out very often by National College Football because nobody in college football that's not us watches group of five football. So Alex, who is your Jordan Lynch Award winner? Ashton Genty, uh, the voice of state running back who actually just announced this morning that he's going back to Boise State instead of hitting the portal, which is great for college football. I'm so glad that he's going to be back at Boise State. Um, Them retaining Spencer Danielson, the interim, was a big deal in that choice for him, Um, even with, like, Taylor Green transferring and all that stuff. But Genty was really the guy that stirred the drink for Boise State this season and, like, really, like, lifted them to that conference championship. He missed a couple games because of injury, and, like, that was one of the roughest stretches of Boise State's season, um, especially as, like, that injury kind of, like, overlapped with the transition away from Andy Avalos and into Spencer Danielson. Um, Obviously, the stretch at the beginning of the season was also not super great because Andy Avalos was there and everyone hated him. Um, But Genty was really the guy that, like, kept that ship afloat. And, like, he was the one that was basically scoring all of their points. He was their entire offense um I, you know for a good portion of the season towards the beginning of it like he was their leading rusher and i think their second leading receiver behind eric McAllister. um he's been the best player in the group of five there was a 
you know, there's a reason why he was looked at as like one of the hot, most high profile transfers before he decided to come back. I think that he is um, an easy choice for me, at least for the group of five MVP this year. AJ, who was your group of five Jordan Lynch award winner? I got to go Diego Pavia, quarterback from New Mexico State. Uh, over 3,500 yards from scrimmage, 32 total touchdowns this year, including the three-touchdown performance against Auburn to lead New Mexico State to an upset victory. I, I think when you just look at how great of a year he had, it, it almost is just – it's such a rare thing for a New Mexico State quarterback to have those kind of numbers and like on a national stage. I just thought he had a, a tremendous year being almost really the main focus of that entire New Mexico State team. Tyler, your group of five MVP. I just want to shout out Tory Horton before we get in here. He's not going to win any award like this, but he had a phenomenal season for Colorado State. Uh, 96 catches, 1,136 yards, eight touchdowns. In an offense that really wasn't able to do a whole lot moving the ball with consistency and explosiveness, but he was the linchpin. Um, I'm going to give it to Caden Salter, uh, the quarterback for Liberty. 13-0, and just an absolute monster on both uh both on the ground and through the air being able to lead what Grayson McCall couldn't this offense can be really explosive through the air and on the ground and McCall just didn't have the arm to be able to accentuate that and Salter does and he has led this team to a phenomenal season and I'm not gonna lie I'm very excited to see what they do against that Oregon defense in the Fiesta Bowl, because I think that could be a really, really difficult matchup for that Oregon Ducks team. Karina, who is your Jordan Lynch Group of Five MVP winner? I'm going to give it to Damian Webb from South Alabama. I watched quite a bit of him this year, and he broke a lot of school records this year. He was the rushing touchdown leader in, in the Sun Belt. I think the, uh, without him, South Alabama is absolutely awful. They were bowl eligible this year. He's had some really flashy moments. He kind of is the offense for the most part, and I came away very impressed after watching him. He's a really sound player, super athletic. I'm going to give it to him. Kevin, your Jordan Lynch G5 MVP this year. My heart obviously wants to say LeJonte Wester because – I've been banging the table since his freshman year that he's not only, you know, talented, he's an NFL talent, but after you went five and seven and I, I would feel sort of, I guess, dirty a little bit to like give this award to someone who uh, was on a team that won five games. Uh, instead, I'm going to give it to Kamani Vidal, who was the entire Troy offense pretty much. And he had two games over 200 yards. He was carrying that team to get 1500 yards rushing at the end of the year, 14 touchdowns. Like, when you think of a dude who is responsible for this team's success on offense, and this is it was this was a really good Troy team, like that's what Kamani Vidal is. Uh, he was incredible, and uh, you know it felt like throughout the year it was like Kamani Vidal or literally nothing else worked. And I think that's kind of damn proven of like a dude who's a, a quote unquote G five Heisman or what whatever we're calling this. So initially, I was going to go Caden Salter because. Of course, like Liberty's Liberty going 13 and 0 and having that kind of offense is impressed, extremely impressive. But Tyler took it, so I'm gonna pivot. My G5 MVP this year is Jalen Green, defensive lineman from James Madison. James Madison finished first in the nation in rushing yards allowed per game, with I believe 69.1 
yards allowed per nice. game this season. Jalen Green had 15 and a half sacks. It was near the top of the nation, if not the top of the nation in sacks. He was a monster just in every facet of the game. That defense was a large part of why James Madison was undefeated for most of the year. And I think Jalen Green deserves a lot of recognition for that. So we have, a lot of teams, a lot of people nationally don't shout out defensive players when it comes to MVP. But my MVP in the G5 level is Jalen Green and the James Madison Dukes, who basically almost had the state of Virginia uh, requesting Congress be, let them, to allow them to be involved in, the, in a football game. So congratulations to Jalen Green and all of our G5 MVPs. <laughs> Jalen Green, real quick. Mm-hmm. Real quick, Jalen Green also won Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year despite only playing nine games because he got injured, which like is that's, crazy. He yeah, put up all he put up all those stats in nine games. That that is maxing out. Like that is going to the gym and only hitting three. That's only going over three hundred on the bench press. You're maxing out every time. But shout out Jalen Green. Um, our next award is the Mario Cristobal Award for Worst Decision Maker, and I feel like this one is kind of unanimous around the board. Um, I'm going to go with mine first. The Mario Cristobal Award for Worst Decision Maker is going to Mario Cristobal. I mean, it's just, it's honestly impressive how much like you can make yourself look like an idiot. And it's, it's crazy because sometimes like when we see stuff on Twitter of people being dumb, it's like, oh, there's like some other side to it. But Mario Cristobal and the Miami Hurricanes did not take a knee against Georgia Tech and ended up losing the game because they fumbled. Nobody was like, hey, let's hear him out a little bit. Nah, bro, let him cook. Everybody paying that decision. And that's how you know you have you are the worst decision maker in college football. It became an ongoing thing for a Mario Cristobal big game moment. You know, like it's it's very much a, oh, it's fourth down. Here comes a certified Mario Cristobal moment. Or there's like a minute left in the game. Here comes a certified Mario Cristobal moment. I think the funniest thing about it is they never take a knee. Never. At all. They're constantly just run, running the clock out. Got to grind out those yards. And it's just like, dude, you don't have to do this. Like, you don't have to be, you don't got to live like this. It's like that meme where it's like, damn, bitch, you live like this? But it's crazy that it's happening at Miami. So Mario Cristobal, you can accept the award named after you in your honor for worst decision maker. AJ, who is up for you? I I would also say Mario Cristobal, uh, but I I kind of think it's hilarious. Jed Fish, the overtime thing where he <laughs> he came out and admitted he did not know the rules for overtime and didn't know he would have to be forced to do two point conversions later on in overtime, which for being in his third year is really impressive and i just think that's absolutely hilarious that he came out and admitted that instead of trying to do some sort of like coach speak justification he was just like i didn't know i had to do that oh okay. well oh well like it's like remember when tom brady didn't know there were four downs didn't know that was fourth down and he held up like the four and it became a meme jet fish basically did that and it's crazy because you're like a you're a real life coach dog like you you're supposed to know this stuff. Like you're, I'm not saying like he's not like an offensive mastermind or anything, but if you're supposed to be the game managing like God, like that's what you're, that's your only job is to manage the game. It's kind of like, again, it's kind of like Mario Cristobal. You don't do anything on offense. You're not a defensive mastermind. 
what are you there for? But Karina, I'm going to you for your Mario Cristobal Worst Decision Maker Award because I have a feeling that this one's going to take the cake. I'm going to give the award to Sam Pittman for Worst Decision Maker of the Year <laughs> since he has had quite the season. Their clock management has been bad. They had went on a run at the end of last year. They weren't able to carry any of the momentum over. But not only that, he has staffers emailing fans back and forth about offensive play calling. He gets mad about it in a press conference, deletes his Twitter, then blames the fans for making him delete his Twitter. And then he follows that up by hiring Bobby Petrino. And quite <laughs> frankly, I'm not sure how you could make it worse, but I would absolutely love this to carry over next year because I want to see Bobby Petrino arguing with some fans over email. I have a theory about Sam Pittman that he only hires people who are objectively worse people than him. So whenever he's like close to like getting fired, it's like, hey, look at that guy. That guy sucks. He did it with Dan Enos. He's going to do it with Bobby Petrino. Who was the last? Maybe they should get Chad Morris in here. Just, just run it all back. Run everybody back. I mean, Sam Pittman had players mid-game at halftime watching the Polar Express, which you know what is a whole lot better than what the product was on the field. I, I, I just I just want to wonder, like, did they have Polar Express on DVD ready and like locked no, and loaded for halftime? No, I think that was just on TV. Like they were, they were just channel surfing at halftime. Like, damn, we getting our ass whooped. I hope We've all done it. On out, TV. I hope they brought out like hot chocolate with marshmallows and all the players <laughs> gotta like get a little bit going at halftime. Again, arguably the best part of that was he had to then go to a press conference the next day and explain it. And he sat there dumbfounded going I, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's one of those crazy moments where, like, dang, like, Twitter, like, actually became, like, real life. Like, we thought that was just a joke. We, we thought you was just joking, dog. I know. You were actually serious. I just love that, like, he had two, like, this is totally rage bait Twitter, like, moments that he had to go in a press conference and then confirm that it was true. Like, I just can't. It takes some really awful decision making to put yourself in that situation. I think if I remember correctly, it was like a, a normally like a redshirt or something who was allowed an opportunity to play in the game, and he like they they have a separate locker room for them. And I guess he just decided to go rogue and start watching the Polar Express. You got a separate locker room for the people who don't play? <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm gonna watch Polar Express. I'm not getting any run. What am I supposed to be like stretching out for? I'm not gonna play. What's it's, the point? Let me let me turn on this uh, Polar Express real quick. Is there anything funnier than watching that movie in November before Christmas season like truly begins in most places? And going, yeah, this is good watching, viewing experience. Watching it, watching it in September would objectively be. Guys, guys would rather sit around watching the Polar Express than go to therapy. That's right. The Polar Express is amazing. Absolutely, yeah, we do it all the time. Have right. hobbies. Why? Why pay for therapy when you can just listen to Josh Groban sing Believe at the end of that song? That's true. That's a fair point. Come on. That's therapy right there. Alex, who is your award winner for the Mario Cristobal Worst Decision Maker of the Year? Yeah, AJ touched on it. And, like, for the sake of discussion, I'm going to give it to Jed Fish. And there's a key reason for this, actually, which is that if Jed Fish knew the overtime rules, first of all, that game shouldn't have gone to overtime. Arizona should have just gone, like, could have just gone for two and one because they scored 46 points this, on USC. This seems like he's game. talking directly. They could have just gone for two and won the game. 
Yeah, they could have just gone for two and won that game in regulation. Then they get into overtime. Jetfish freaks it in overtime. And then they get into second overtime, and he has no idea that they got to run a two-point conversion point. If Arizona won that game, they would have gone to the Pac-12 championship. They lost. <laughs> and instead, they didn't get to play for a conference championship. That is exclusively on Jed Fish. Miami, like the the Mario Cristobal thing is funny, right? But in terms of like the actual impact that it had on the season, Miami still made a bowl game. They still did all this stuff. They did whatever. They were Arizona could have anyway. played for a conference championship. <laughs> yeah, like Arizona could have potentially won the Pac-12 if Jed Fish knew the overtime rules. And instead they lost to USC before Alex Grinch got fired. It's ridiculous. Get him out of my face. Tyler, I'm going to give you the chance to rebubble before making your decision for worst for worst decision maker of the year. Why would I rebuttal? He's right. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's 100% right. And the I've been right. Yeah. Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, I do want to uh, defend Mario Cristobal at least a smidgen here before I give my pick. You don't have to do I, that. Because I, I think he, he uh, forgot that he's not coaching in the Arena Football League, where in order to get the clock to run, you actually have to gain positive yards. Um, so that he probably just forgot what league he was coaching in. But I have to give um, my award, my Mario Cristobal award, to Kirk Ferentz. Because not only did he keep Brian Ferentz around, but he wasted a great defense and a great special teams unit that won his team 10 football games while having the literal worst offense in all of FBS. And probably half of the FCS's offenses were better than what Iowa put on the field this year. You bring in a competent offensive coordinator that can get a few recruits, that can get a couple of transfer portal guys that aren't Cade McNamara, and you can at least put a respectable offense. And who knows? Maybe Iowa could have gone undefeated going into the Big Ten championship game. Like, I'm not saying they would have, but if you have competent offense, give me the 70th best offense in the FBS. Iowa could have gone undefeated going into that game. So I'm looking something up real quick. Not like, I just want to, I'm checking. <laughs> what are you checking? I'm, I'm checking to see how many total points Iowa scored this year. Like 12. <laughs> I think it's like 180. So if they did score 180 points this year, Caitlin Clark has 296 points. <laughs> she probably beat 180 in the Caitlin three Clark, games. <laughs> Caitlin Clark has outscored Iowa, and the season isn't even over yet for Iowa women's basketball. It's barely started. It's barely it started. Barely started. So, like, Caitlin Clark is outscoring your entire team, like, for the entire year. You had 12 – you had 13 games. Just get over 200 points, and you can't do that. Caitlin Clark probably did that in four games. If even that. Uh, can I can, can I say my Go real ahead. quick? Go uh, ahead. Yeah, so, uh, first of all, Jay Noel for punting on fourth and two against Colorado. What are you doing here? Like, why are we here? And we all called that on the Twitter space. We were all like, yep, all right, that's game over. Thanks for coming, guys. Uh, but I also want to say, uh, can, can, can Jeff Levy learn how to read a room? Because why is Art Biles on the <laughs> sideline of your game? Like, 
<laughs> why can you not read a room and be like, hey man, this probably is the good Known idea? Family man, Jeff Levy. And then like, and then like having on. to have. Not only did he do that, then he made it his Facebook profile photo, <laughs> and then he doubled down in a press conference about it. He doubled oh, oh, down. No. On he it. he kept it the whole year after they told him to. Like, hey, like you can't do that. He was gone. He was like, he was like, no, I'm a family man, and like, that's my father-in-law. Saying he was you're gone. a family man in a photo with Art Briles <laughs> next to you is just incredible irony. I I also just want to say that, like, as we were talking about Sam Pittman and needing to like go into press conferences and answer about something that you didn't do. He needed Brett Venables to go into a press conference and answer as to why Chet Briles was on the field after a game, and he. Uh, AJ, you may know better. Like he was just kind of like, I don't know. He didn't know he was yeah, there. No, nobody, nobody had a clue he was there until Levy. Court Bridles was still alive. He just popped back up in Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> like, he was like, in what Italy. What the hell like... was Polar Bear doing in Arlington, Texas? <laughs> what the hell was Art Bridles doing in Norman, Oklahoma? <laughs> there, but it's there all fine. It's, it don't work. Don't even worry about it because Jeff Levy is assembling the worst staff known to man. Even after Jimbo Fisher assembled what we thought was the worst staff known to man. I also just want to say that, like, uh, uh, Hugh Jackson almost hired Jeff Levy at Grambling State. At he did. He did. No, 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 not Jeff Levy. Art Bryles. Or Art Bryles. Sorry, I don't know why I said Jeff Levy, but like. Why are we in this? Why, why is everyone clamoring for Art Bryles on a coaching staff or let alone on the field? Please, for the love of God, don't do that anymore. It's just, it's an incredible, like, lack of self-awareness. And now he's the head coach of Mississippi State. So, like, good luck, you know. Like, good luck with all of that. Um, I also just want to mention Iowa football scored 216 points this year. Again, Caitlin Clark, through 10 games, has 296. <laughs> like, you know how you know how hilarious that is? Like, what do you – I think that's really, like, the most impressive feat this year. Like, actively choosing to not score and still winning 10 games. He's Kirk been Ferris doing that for years. He's been doing that for years. I don't know what like, we're talking like, about yeah, now. Is, this is what we do, you know? Like, Kirk, Kirk Ferris just... Kirk Ferris just chooses not to score, you know? <laughs> um, we're going to move on to, ironically enough, the Brian Ferris Award for Best Scammer. And, Karina, we're going to start with you. Who wins your Brian Ferris Award for Best Scanner? I am giving that award to Billy Napier because why are you employed and why are you making $37 million? You managed to do absolutely nothing with Anthony Richardson, who probably would have been in the play for Offensive Rookie of the Year had he stayed healthy in the NFL. You've done absolutely nothing at Florida this year. You're just there, and they refuse to fire him. So ironically, ironically enough, my – award for best scammer of the year is all 87,000 of them game changer coaches Florida's got. <laughs> no damn way. I got 87 special teams coaches and not none of them know how to teach a player how to kick. If you had you had two players on the field against Utah wearing the same jersey number 
<laughs> like, that's just incredible levels of oversight and failure to do, like, the bare minimum for a team with 80 billion. You got the entire Wu-Tang Clan out there as coaches, and not nobody knows how to count to 11. Like, what are y'all doing? Why, why are some of those guys hired? Like, you got 30 million get-back coaches at that point. And none of them are even good. Like, I could have said, like, best scammer of the year could have been Austin Armstrong. I really just could have turned this entire scammer of the year into Florida's entire coaching staff. But I'm deciding to go with all 87 billion of the game-changer coaches because unless they are planning to change the game in favor of Florida's opponent, they weren't actually doing anything because they should have won that game against Arkansas. But none of the game-changer coaches can teach anybody how to kick. So, like, you're stuck with that. You got the – you got – legions of coaches who don't actually know you got kevin out there as your defensive coordinator and then i could do better than him come on no, no you no you couldn't first of all i've watched florida defense i absolutely could <laughs> no you couldn't it can always get worse and you would be worse but not only that but you had like the entire population of the maldives like on your sideline as game changer coaches and none of them knew how to do anything. <laughs> like, what? what is the game planning looking like throughout the week? Is he looking like Gru when he's talking to the minions? They were watching like, the Polar tonight, Express. <laughs> we will, we we will allow the team to score less than 20 points. And everybody's just like, yeah. And then they just run 13 players out there. All of them, four of them are wearing the same jersey number. You got co- you got players transferring and saying like, yeah, I come back if the defense was like any better or if the defensive coaching even changes. But hey, you know what? You got three billion game changer coaches. I feel like that's like a part of like requirements when every new child is born. You become a University of Florida game changer coach. I just, like, just, just keeps it is already my birthday on the East Coast. What did I do to deserve this? Shit? A lot of things. <laughs> Go ahead, Karina. I was just going to say that the Florida coaching staff kind of operates like the three branches of government, but they all just try to like whack each other over the head, like whack-a-mole. Like, no, I'm going to undo exactly what you just did. No, no, no. They they do act like the three branches of government because none of them do shit. Exactly. (laughs) None of them do anything. (laughs) Y'all haven't done anything all year. Okay, I'm not going to – I'm going to keep going. Alex – who is your Brian Ferrett Scammer of the Year award going to? I'm giving it to the guy that was running the books at the University of Arizona. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. That guy, whoever that person is, they, they lost. They lost. Not like lost as in the university lost that money, but like lost as in could not find $240 million. How do you do that? How did they get that job? They hired that man off TikTok. <laughs> they hired that man L- was having a hired him for LLC on Twitter. TikTok. No, I'm just crying. They hired... like, how do you forget to carry the one and incite the downfall of an entire athletic program? <laughs> like, they hired. They hired a dude given like dogecoin advice on tiktok as their like main financial advisor at the university they, they hired lost me. 240 million dollars 
as a university, not even as an athletics program, as a university. <laughs> and now they're like at risk of having to pause like multiple sports in order to like be able to make that money back. Imagine that guy part of the greatest game of all time because how did he get that job? Imagine being a part of the Arizona swim team and being like, my season can't go because some dumbass forgot to carry a one. Oh Sorry, guys. I'm entering the transfer portal because my school is in debt. Not even like in debt, like critically in debt. Like they're gonna, they're gonna yeah. have the. Uh, I do want to say on the uh, Arizona campus, it's gonna be evicted. Everybody, get out of there. They run I, that operation like. I do uh, want to say too, um, the uh, you know how like the Oscars will do like a lifetime achievement award or that that sort of thing. My mm-hmm. lifetime achievement award category for this one goes to Pat Fitzgerald for belief for having us all believe that you could not win at Northwestern. You you get liar, <laughs> you liar and fraud. You said that you could only win four games and parlayed that into a lifetime extension. David Braun came in and won seven games. My lifetime achievement, by the way, for this is Alex Grinch. You you continued to scam. <laughs> you scammed Lincoln Riley for five years into thinking you were a good defensive coordinator. They, they, they fired him and just went, oh, wait, we can hire good defensive coordinators? Let's try that this time. And hired <laughs> Lincoln Riley just like damn, I didn't know I could do this. Yo, Lincoln Riley could have his own lifetime achievement for this. Award. He's like, oh, GT counter. I'm gonna GT counter so hard right now, bro. He's no, way one who low key could be a scammer of the year. Jim Harbaugh and everybody <laughs> thinking that he is dead. You had the entire Michigan sideline uh-huh. thinking like R.I.P. Harbaugh. They're gonna make the fly high shirts. With like the airbrush Jim Harbaugh on it, and it'll be like fly high. They gonna have the doves on it. They had Sharon Moore out there crying. They had JJ McCarthy out there talking about sometimes I just miss him. You're gonna see him after the game. I think he, they Facetimed at, ten minutes after that game, and nothing happened. He he's at, at the hotel bar eating a well done steak, brother. He is at Whistle. the local Outback Steakhouse. He is at the Chili's with a three for ten. But it's all just chicken tenders. He's only he is only ordering chicken tenders. Just he sees the no, he goes to Applebee's and instead of getting the uh the doll the dollarita, the endless dollarita, he's just give me give me some more chicken tenders. Give me some more steaks on the house. Everybody. Everybody gets a steak. I have a glass of milk with that, please. I haven't had enough yet. <laughs> Kevin, your scammer of the year is up. Go ahead. Uh Shout out Jack Plummer for having everyone think (laughs) that he is good at football because trust me, I watched the end of that game and uh, he got rewarded the ball at the 12-yard line. Let's not forget this. Got rewarded the ball at the 12-yard line and proceeded to throw an interception. Just, just, they were down a touchdown. They needed a touchdown. That's all they needed. And he went, "Eh, I'll just throw an interception. That's fine. And they like panned to him on the sideline after the game, like looking all distressed. I think everyone on Twitter went, why are you looking distressed? You're the reason this happened. <laughs> so the funniest thing is we we knew going in, like, Jack Plummer is not good. This is the same, like, as much as we give Louisville credit for, like, winning those games handily against Notre Dame, they did get their ass whooped by Pitt. Like, I, 2023 Pitt. Yeah. So I, I would just like to read something off real quick. Uh, after their field goal to make it a four-point game, punt, downs, or no, sorry, interception, three and out, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, where on those final two, they gained a total of, well, lost a total of 11 yards. 
they were bad, and Jack Plummer was sitting there doing nothing. And they just, and somehow, like, we all sat here, like, I think the people on Twitter were surprised. We're like, wait, what? This is the Louisville we've been watching? They've been doing this for forever. It's just, we knew this coming in. Uh, Fordo, your Brian Ferret Scammer of the Year award goes to? Man, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain right now, and you guys have really hurt me. Um, not as much as Florida has hurt me, but um, I, I'm going to go off the wall a little bit here. Um, I'm going to give it to Scott Satterfield. Satterfield <laughs> somehow scammed Cincinnati into hiring him away from Louisville when Louisville yeah. was about to fire him for going six and six. So not only does he take over a nine and four Luke Fickle team after Luke Fickle went uh, to Wisconsin, he he brings them to I believe three and nine, and the program he left at six and six just went ten and three and had an appearance in the ACC title game. Scott Satterfield. Is, is a joke. I've never been the biggest fan of Cincinnati. I, I've always thought that like a, a lot of those teams that were really good with Fickle, I thought they were a little overrated. And I think people just wanted to hype them up because it was finally a really good G5 team that looked like they could compete P5, especially after that Notre Dame win. But look, uh, Satterfield scammed the hell out of Cincinnati forever, however much he's going to get paid. And look, good for his bank account. Cincinnati screwed themselves big time. Do you think Cincinnati is looking at Louisville and like, damn, we fucked up? <laughs> like, it's an immediate, like, you know that meme where it's like, the risk I took was calculated, but man, am I bad at math. <laughs> like, you're looking at Louisville making the ACC championship game while your coach, who used to coach Louisville, is sitting over here three and nine with Emory Jones. They had the Arizona bookkeepers deciding who was their next head coach, and they forgot to carry the one multiple times on that one. AJ, it, was, it was the office space scam times 10. AJ, who was your scammer of the year? You guys have whittled down I my notes. I am not kidding you. I have Florida Game Changer coach. I have Alex Grinch. I actually did think about Satterfield as well. I also had the Arizona guys. Um but for mine, I have to go with – I debated between two Big 12 coaches of Sonny Dykes and Dana Holgerson, uh, mainly because Sonny Dykes decided he was going to make the playoff and then hired Kendall Bryles and proceeded to go 5-7. Okay. and seven. And then Dana Holgerson goes, I have a contract with a big buyout. I can't get fired. And then proceeds to get fired anyways and gets owed all that money. Either one of those I think is just absolutely hilarious. Honorable mention for this award, uh, one, Gene Chizik for continuing to ruin Mac Brown's we'll entire get there. life. We'll, 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 get, we'll get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Uh, honorable, honorable mention, mention, P.J. Fleck. I was going to say P.J. Fleck <laughs> because that, <laughs> that's, P.J. Fleck is a known scammer. He had that great year at Western Michigan and rode his boat straight into financial rewards for him and not for anybody else. He mm-hmm. is... He is a Wolf of Wall Street level scammer. Like he he decided he was going to Jordan Belfort this entire thing, and now he's running a, he's running Calig Manis out of there. That team is bad. Um, who else can we not? I will say Mario Cristobal. I'll defend Mario, Fleck a yeah. little bit. JP, the the program has never been as successful it, as it's been in the last sixty years as it has been under Fleck, but he's still a scammer. <laughs> I was going to say you could do better. Like, please, stand can up. They, 
I really don't know if they can, even though I want them to. You are in the damn quick lane bowl. Don't tell me you can't do better than that. You should want better for yourself. You should want to be better. AJ, go ahead. I, I was going to say Hugh Freeze. Just <laughs> the, the, the college of integrity that is Auburn electing to hire Hugh Freeze and then losing to New Mexico State at home. I, I think that is just incredible. Not 10 out of 10, no no. He was hired because he beat Alabama and allowed a fourth and goal at the 31 yards line to Alabama. The team, the team Hugh Freeze used to coach just went undefeated. Just went undefeated. Going yeah. to a New Year's Six. Um, another honorable mention for this is Colorado past the month of September. Uh, they are who we thought they were. And I just think the craziest thing about Colorado is they had Wu-Tang Clan on the sidelines in the Colorado State game. And then by the time they played Stanford, they were on the Jacquees. That that ship sailed very quickly. Um, next up, we have our game of the year. This one should be fun. There are a lot of good games this year. AJ, I'm going to start with you. Who is your game of the year going to? I mean, come on. It's Red River, man. That's a good one. Red River rivalry was phenomenal. At every moment you wanted, game-winning, last second, it, it, with a Hail Mary attempt that came with plenty of drama of its own. Uh, I mean, it, it was just like, to me, it's the game that I remember the most. I just, I think it was excellent back and forth the whole time. 10 out of 10, perfect game to me. Forno, what's your game of the year this year? So this is a tough one. Um, I, I debated between a few, and I, I think I'm going to go Notre Dame, Ohio State. And it, it's kind of a forgotten one, mainly because Ohio State kind of didn't live up to expectations, neither did Notre Dame. But watching that game, it was a slugfest, back and forth. Defenses just played lights out. And then you had McCord somehow lead that game-winning drive where Notre Dame forgot how to count. They could have used the game-changer coach or two on that final no, drive. they just had Jesus on the field. You couldn't, <laughs> see, the, you couldn't see the footprints because you lacked the faith. Yeah, well, that, that was a phenomenal football game. Um, I will give a, a shout-out to that Colorado-Colorado State game. That was – it was great in its own way. Kevin, what is your game of the year this year? Uh, I know there were a few Idaho games that are probably up there, and I know some of the real sickos. Like, Tyler probably watched a lot of those games and would know which ones were, like – better than the other i think they played montana earlier this year which was a that was a, a great game. game it was an uh, espn2 game was yeah was that the espn2 game uh but i want to say that like my favorite was kansas state texas because that game was stupid and kansas state was down like 14 or 17 and then comes back has have a fourth and goal to win the game and potentially knock texas out of a uh a a spot in the big 12 championship game and just couldn't stop the defensive line of Texas all game. Uh, that game was incredible. And another Colorado game, the first game of the season, Colorado TCU, blow for blow. Like, what a way to introduce college football for that season because that game was like, I keep going back to that game was incredible. Karina, what is your game of the year? I am going to go with the SEC championship that we just watched. And <clears throat> I give it that award because I think the job that Nick Saban did in, to get Alabama to a point where they could upset Georgia is such a phenomenal coaching job. I really enjoyed their 
like, hey, we never went anywhere despite what the beginning of the year looked like. As bad as their offensive line was in the beginning of the year, as much as Milrow seems to get pushed around, he was kind of a one-read guy, and he really blew the doors open on what Alabama's future looks like. And, you know, down and down but never out. And, you know, they're still, they stood in the doorway and they said, I'm still here, like that big bird gif, that was them. And I just came away so impressed and SEC is going to be a lot of fun next year. I'm so excited once they bring in uh, Texas and Oklahoma to see, you know, hey, it's not just Georgia and everybody else. Captain, I have a feeling I know what your game of the year is, but what is your game of the year? Yeah, come on, man. It's Washington, Oregon, part one. Uh, mm-hmm. That game was nuts. Um, that was, I mean, one of the most emotional games that I think that I've ever, like, been uh, emotionally invested in. Um, like again, you want to talk about like back and forth, like felt very high stakes the whole time. Uh, the stadium is like, it's a crazy atmosphere. Like, it's just like, I mean, Kirk Herbstreit said it on the broadcast. Like this is like, it, it was what college football is all about. Uh, and then like it ending on a missed kick the way it did where like the kick was coming, the kick was towards the Washington student section. And like, I had friends that were in the student section and they said like, we could not tell from where we were standing whether or not that ball went in. And so, like, to have the ref signal that it didn't go in, it went wide, and then rushing the field, like, that is the the best game of the season to me. So, my game of the year, uh, of course, App State always plays some wild games. They had the uh, the 40-34, uh, North, not Notre Dame, a North Carolina double overtime game in week two this year which very much felt like, oh, they're going to do it again in North Carolina. But my game of the year, I'm going to Wyoming, Wyoming Air Force. One of my one of my favorite games to watch. That was real football right there. Both those teams going back and forth. Um, Peasley, the Wyoming quarterback, has very much Baker Mayfield vibes, and I think it's because of how he wears his helmet and he has the little uh, Baker Mayfield like yeah, the very quirked up white boy. Um, you know, it's just an incredible game because Air Force ran for 356 yards. Real football right there. That is my game of the year. Next, we have our Pac-12 after dark game of the year. Now, this does not have to be specific to the Pac-12. It just has to be a game that happened after dark. So... We're going to start with Katzen, our most well coast per- West Coast person. What's your After Dark game of the year? Yeah, this one is hard for me. I feel like the easiest answer, though, is the Colorado-Stanford game. Um, just like the the Alec Iomanner uh, legacy game of the, of the <laughs> year of the decade. Um, <laughs> that guy is uh, going to be a legend for the rest of time. Uh, he rocks and that game rocked and uh, it was a lot of fun to have that be like kind of like the main focus because it was just happening like the middle of the night. Karina, your after dark game of the year. Well, Katzen stole mine. So <laughs> <clears throat> um, I know someone threw around that Montana game from um that ESPN2 game I remember watching that and it just being absolutely nuts and like that version of college football is just some of the best kept secrets where everybody's just sweating out the under 
at like two in the morning. Just that's great football right there. So next one we're going to go to, we're going to go to Kevin, your after dark game of the year. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here, Alex, but I think that uh, Arizona State USC game was Pac-12 after dark, or at least at night. Uh, that game was fun, besides the fact that Arizona State didn't have a quarterback and started like having to use like every other player at quarterback. It was like, yeah, man, we'll figure it out. Uh, they kept it kind of close, and it was like kind of funny watching USC sort of like shrivel into shreds every time uh, Arizona State had threw a punch. Uh, obviously you guys stole Colorado Stanford because I think that probably would have been everyone's Fordo, your game of the your Pac-12 after dark game of the year. Yeah, I I've got a tie here. It's either Colorado, Colorado state or UNLV Fresno state when UNLV was still undefeated and they ended up uh, not being able to convert with on, on a touchdown inside the 10 yard line because of a dropped pass on second and goal. Um, that was a phenomenal one. Colorado, um, I thought they were going to crush uh, Colorado State. I think they were a 14-point favorite, and Colorado State jumped on them early, and Colorado ended up fighting back and won in second overtime. Just uh, overall, I don't think we had a great slate of Pac-12 after dark this year, but those were two of my favorites. AJ, your after dark game of the year. Mine absolutely – positively has to be utah usc week eight oh. utah coming back with the pig farmer at quarterback beating out the heisman you know reigning heisman trophy winner and all the everything that had happened last game second or last second game winning field goal drive like i thought it was a absolutely phenomenal game from start to finish so for mine i'm gonna go way off the board here Hawaii running on a kicker as time expired to beat New Mexico State is my after dark game of the year. Hawaii had a lot of fun games after dark this year. They were a pretty fun team despite actually being bad. JP, it was Colorado State. It was Colorado State, the Colorado State game. They had another game winning kick against New Mexico State. But it was also like after dark. But either way, the Colorado State game is the one I'm talking about. Incredibly fun. They're the offense is just very stupid. It's very, it's very run and shoot, as always with Hawaii. You want to get, you want to get the offense out there, and then running on that kicker. Every time they do the fire drill, running on the kicker thing, it gives me anxiety. So that was a perfect way to end that game. <laughs> now for our favorite award, the Habuga Trophy. The Habuga Trophy. For people who don't know, we say Habuga is when you have no regard for your life or anybody else's and you just try and hit somebody as hard as possible. I think this one, I'm gonna, I don't know if I can speak for everybody else. I think this one is unanimous when we go to Boston College's Kari Johnson, who decided to turn into a dolphin and just completely take out this pit receiver in midair. Wasn't even going for the ball. Like it is the most egregious, like that is textbook targeting they're gonna put that in the book they're gonna put that on the video clip like yeah this is what you shouldn't do because this is targeting but i think this is a unanimous one we're gonna move on to our toyotathon award for best used car salesman aj i'm gonna start with you because i have a feeling what everybody else is gonna say 
Okay, mine is not Jeff Levy. Uh, <laughs> I'm moving to the other side of the ball, and it's Ted Roof, at who has co- been the defensive coordinator now at 13 different schools and has been fired from most of them and is still somehow getting paid over a million dollars by the University of Oklahoma. Secure the bag, always. I mean, like, what What else could you really say? He's somehow managed to convince, every, like, the Oklahoma staff that he knows what he's doing, even though he just sits up there in the booth and looks like Steve Martin, and it's just there. He's, he's just there collecting pension checks. Like, he's up there eating Doritos. He's thanking <laughs> me in the press box. Karina, who is your used car salesman of the year? I am going Dan Mullen. Simply <laughs> because he goes to me every Saturday and talks about the Florida Gators. He's like, wow, they really need to improve this. I'm like, my brother in Christ, how do you think they got this way? <laughs> he has two schools that are so bad, they both want him back. He's got Florida and Mississippi State prior to the hire of Jeff Levy praying that man comes back. <laughs> That's that's the best. That's the best. Well, speaking of Florida, Florida, first of all, happy birthday. Second, who is your used car salesman of the year? You know, I, I had I had an interesting time kind of debating with myself about this because I think it could go a multitude of ways. And I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to give it to Neil Brown of West Virginia because somehow he convinced the athletic department to give him another year. And then he got the, cause he knew he had the easiest big 12 schedule and then proceeded to win eight games. And I'm still mad at him for basically telling me CJ Donaldson would be a workhorse. And I lost in the quarterfinals of the 50 teamer because he basically lied to my face. Um, good on Neil Brown for winning eight games, but yeah. Uh, used car salesman of the year. Kevin, who is your used car salesman of the year? I guess I'm a masochist because mine is Tyler Van Dyke because he <laughs> had the entire Miami fan base thinking he was going to be something. And not only, like, it looked promising at the beginning of the year. He was cooking against Texas A&M and the long list of, like, really bad group of five teams they played. Uh, and then he had to play conference games, and they were just dropping eight and going, good luck, man. And he threw, like, I think 10 interceptions in the span of, like, four games. Got benched for a true freshman who broke his arm, unfortunately, against FSU. Came back and was like, all right, this is our time. Perceived to still be bad and is now in the transfer portal uh, where he is like, I think I've seen like everyone's ranking is like he's 10th or below in the transfer portal uh, for quarterbacks. And like, I just, you know what, man, good on you for having everyone convinced you were you were going to be something. So not even I did, not even just ahead. that. Not even just that. This man trademarked Tyler Van Dyme <laughs> prior to the season before proceeding to do all of that. That's you know incredible what, scam. You know what? I respect it because he has now become an incredible meme for the fact that he can't hit anyone and the only dives he's throwing is to the wrong team. But you know what? Good for him. For the entire month of October, Tyler Van Dyke threw Five touchdowns and seven interceptions. I think they lost all those games too, or won maybe one of them. They won the Virginia game, <laughs> which was not a win. That was a, a loss. That was in overtime. Lost us a win. 
<laughs> That's the second time in two years Mario Cristobal has gone to overtime with Virginia. I, I think we could also give this award to Bonex. Just feel like we could probably do that. Katzen, who is your used car salesman of the year award going to? Gene Chizik, man. This man <laughs> was the defensive coordinator at North Carolina in 2015 and 2016. His teams ranked, uh, where'd it go? 96th and 63rd in total defense. And then he got fired. Well, he got pushed out. He resigned. Went to ESPN for five years. And then North Carolina said, hey, you know what worked really well last time? Gene Chizik running the defense. He's back. And he still sucks. <laughs> North Carolina's defense was abysmal this season. Why did they think that this was going to work? How did they convince him to do this? I just I have to know, did Mac Brown and Gene Chizik work at ESPN at the same time? Because that's the only reason, like, hey, dog, there's, there's probably some water cooler conversations like, hey, when I get back into the uh get back to the game, I'm taking you with me. And as soon as Mac got that job in North Carolina, he's like, hey. It's go time. We're running it back. We're bringing sexy back. And by sexy, I mean giving up 45 points a game. Um, my, <laughs> my used car salesman of the year award. I'm giving this to a group. The entire Texas A&M coaching staff. You are the proud recipients of my used car salesman of the year award. Um, it's really hard to make a group of five stars look really bad, especially on offense. It's really hard to make all your talented players look like just a bunch of dudes. And it's so funny because every time you saw Jimbo Fisher, he had this like 3,000-page pamphlet of plays, and none of them worked. Like it's just an, it's incredible how you hired an offensive coordinator and was like, yeah, He's going to call the plays and have control of the offense and then immediately take back the offense midway through the season. Like, you, what's the point? And also, they have Steve, Steve Adazio on staff or has Steve Adazio on staff. What is he here for? What is Blood doing? What, what, what the hell is a polar bear doing in all this in Texas? That man cost Florida a national championship in, in 09. He also cost Texas A&M a lot. Um, they also have, like, I've said it on this I said it earlier, they have like the worst group of people on like a single coaching staff. Jeff Levy's giving them a run for them for their money. But yeah, my award goes to the Texas AM coaching staff. Congratulations on your new jobs at Toyota. The Tate Martell Living Memorial Trophy. If you want to know what this means, Tate Martell was in college for the entire 2010. I don't, that's not true. Don't look it up, but sometimes it might actually be true. Who is your Tate Martell Living Memorial Award winner, Karina? There's only one person this can go to, and it's Bo Nix. Bro, you are married. <laughs> you can go start a family. If RPOs and Pac-12 refs did not exist, you would be handing me my Chick-fil-A. Please go home. I am so tired of seeing you everywhere. <laughs> We had to get a bow mention in here. AJ, who is your Tate Martell Living Memorial Trophy winner? Well, it's not Bo Nix, so I'll go with another RPO merchant. Uh, Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> he's 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 now going for another year of, of college football, probably to go replace Bo Nix at Oregon. Um, 
just go go back to Hawaii, man. Go back home to the family. Go have fun on the beach and enjoy enjoy a nice retirement fund with your NIL money and start a family, man. Forno, your Tate Martell Living Memorial Award winner. See, unlike Karina, I think I actually have to give it to the guy who, like Tate Martell, finally retired after bouncing around from college to college, and that is JT Daniels. On his fourth university at Rice, he decided to retire and go into coaching, and he actually did what he was supposed to do. He got a job. And I think that Martell did the same thing after the UNLV experiment. And listen, good on JT Daniels. I hope he enjoys coaching. And he found a job. And that's all we can ask for with the Tate Martell Award. Alex, who is your Tate Martell Award going to? Joe Milton. Get a job. (laughs) (laughs) That Tennessee offense. I was told before this season that anyone could run that Tennessee offense. We were talking about Joe Milton as a first-round pick because he can throw an orange 120 yards. That man... (laughs) one of the worst quarterbacks I have seen in my lifetime. Get him out of here. Get him into the workforce. Go into the private sector, buddy. Kevin, who is your Tate Martell Living Memorial Trophy winner? This goes back to what we were talking about with Scott Satterfield because Embry Jones, you've been in college since 2018. It's time to take a hit. This isn't working. He threw 18 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. It's the second year where he threw under 20 touchdowns and had more than 10 interceptions. He's on his third school. He's been replaced probably 16 times as quarterback. Like, can you at some point take a hit that you're just not like a college quarterback and like go drive a school bus or something? Because I think it's time for you to go drive a school bus. All right. My Tate Martell Living Memorial Trophy goes to the one and only Cam McCormick. So, Cam McCormick entered college in 2016. He has been in college for eight years. My brother in Christ. Like 2015. 20, 2015. He was the number one tight end recruit in 2015. Let's look up what other recruits were in – we're in that recruiting class in 2015 because there's no way that like Derwin James was in that recruiting class. <laughs> like, come on, man. The top, the top tight end of that recruiting class is Isaac Nada, and I just feel like that's worth mentioning. <laughs> like, come on, dude. You can't keep doing this. Josh Rosen was the number one pro-style quarterback in that recruiting class. JP, like, can I? JP, do you know what the best part about this is for Cam McCormick? Go ahead, what? Alex. I know what you're saying. He's got one more year of eligibility, no baby. Fucking way. <laughs> no shot. <laughs> homie better. Be, homie He's better be a fully certified. Year. Can be a ninth year senior. Like ninth doctor year? at this point. <laughs> you better have four degrees at this point, or I'm telling you to get out of school. Why would so you keep pretty- putting your body? Through that pain. You are the elderly at this point. You are a senior citizen. Please go get a job. I can't believe we continue to let this man. And the thing is, 
how many games did he even play in? He played he played in every game. He was their second tight end for most of the year, uh, behind a true freshman who was probably about four years old when he entered college. Uh, this man has been with Mario Cristobal since the beginning. Do you uh, want do you want to know what his career high for receiving yards in a season is? Is it like 50? It's 89. You want to know when that is? In 2017. Like, please give it up. Give it a rest. You are not him. You have not been him. You have never been him. Please go enter the workforce. See, don't be mad. UPS is hiring. You should not be able to rent a car as a college football player. Oh, come on. You just made me feel so freaking old. I have three years of eligibility left. I'm sorry, I mean, if you're kid, unless you like Cam McCormick, you can just stay in college for 45 years. <laughs> Cam McCormick's got an NIL deal with Medicare. Like, y'all remember that dude uh, who played at South Carolina State who was like 45? That's Cam McCormick. Yeah. We're going to be like, we're going to be like old and like have children. And Cam McCormick is still going to be in college. You know, JP, I think we go even further. He's the old dude in the Kansas spring game. But he's like still in college when he runs the touchdown in. Yeah, like he's actually this isn't like, a memorial. He's still in. He's still in college. Like he's got actual like defense in front of him. Kyler Murray was in his recruiting class. Do you do you guys remember the the Florida recruit who had his dad pose in Florida gear? Yeah, that's Kim McCormick. Is it that's Kim McCormick <laughs> popping up on the media guide? Like. Jared Stidham was in, was in high school. He was a senior, too. And he's, like, he's been on multiple NFL teams at this point. Like, please go home, get a job. This is not for you. Justin just Herbert got to, to Oregon the year after Cam McCormick yeah. did. I no fucking to... way. I, I just want to say that some of the players <laughs> in the 2017 recruiting class involve Walker Little, who's in the NFL, and starting in the NFL, and Jalen Phillips, who was starting in the NFL. <laughs> Take a hit, man. <laughs> like, you you have to be able to look around and realize, dog, this is not for you. Like, you, you've got to give it up. Cam McCormick is to college football like AJ is to music. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. No way. That's that's a crazy, that's a crazy shot across the bow right there. It, it it's it's with love, with love. All oh, as always. Um, Joe Burrow was in high school Jeez. at the same time as Cam McCormick. So Bryce Young was probably in middle school. <laughs> he probably was. I think he no. He was probably in like freshman year of high school. If the years are right. In 2015, when he was a senior. I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> like, I was a freshman in high school, and I have two degrees at this point. <laughs> like, please go do something else. Okay, that, here, here's, here's some good stuff, all right? So when McCormick was a freshman, the class of 2012 uh, would have just signed. Number two player in that class, Doriel Green Beckham. Get a no, job. No, Get a job. Four. Eric Armstead, number oh seven, God. Malcolm Brown, number 10, Stefan Diggs, this is, TJ Yeldon. This is not real. He, he cannot be real. Like, 
Come on. Like, you know what happened in 2015? <laughs> like, th- dog. Please, enough. I know you have one year. Don't. Don't. Like, just don't. You, we all know. Like, it's over. Take the L out of lover. It's over, brother. Like, it's over for you. But that is, speaking of over, that is going to be it for us on Sorry No Podcast today. You can go ahead and find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to leave five stars. If you don't leave five stars, we will tell you to go get a job like Cam McCormick. Or we will hunt you down and make you say nice things about Kevin. And nobody wants to do that. So from Alex, Karina, Kevin, Tyler, AJ, I am JP, and we will see you later.